You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today is PFF Day. It's the day where all the fun speculation and everything else goes out the window. And we look at um, the grades given by the people who unfortunately had to sit and rather than just enjoy the game, had to stare at players and watch them and pull out a rule book and say whether that was a positive grade or a negative grade. And, uh, you know, I've done it before. Not being qualified, I've done it before. It's very, very hard. And I've said if I ever get the opportunity to do this as my full-time job, I'll probably try doing grades again, but I can probably also guarantee that that won't happen. Not just because it's hard, but I'm also just going to go to PFF, and when they say it's it's, it's kind of like when your parents told you you need to balance your checkbook, and then what do you do? You look at your bank account, and you it's always different. And when it's different, you don't look at it and go, "Oh, the bank messed up again." No, you know you're the one that messed up because you you're dumb and you don't know math apparently, even though it's basic addition subtraction. So that's exactly what would happen. I would do the grades and look at PFF and go, "Ah, I'm dumb. I don't know." So what 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 is the point? I mean, the, the benefit of it is sometimes I do disagree, and it's also good just to see it for myself, which would be the main benefit, but I could do that without necessarily doing grades. But anyways, it's a grueling process, and I'm glad somebody else is doing it, and we just get to reap the rewards. Well, they, they reap my money, which is fairly substantial, but it's worth it. Um, that's about That's all we're doing today, because this takes a while. So, uh, again, congratulations to Kona. He did end up uh, claiming that prize, so that's off the table. But we are currently at 567 followers, and what we decided to do is when we get to 600, rather than just saying you're getting assigned 8 by 10, we're just going to let you pick what you want. And the options that you have are the signed 8 by 10 of Johnny Holland or the signed Chuck Mercine jersey. He's probably not the biggest name you know, but there's also probably not that very memorable ice bowl moment without Chuck Mercine. That final drive that had Bart Starr leaping into the end zone, was a 68-yard final drive all the way down the field to get that touchdown. 34 of those yards on that drive, exactly half of the final ice bowl drive, were got by Chuck Mercine. So, not the biggest Packer name you know, but absolutely a legend. And we need 33 more Instagram followers, and one of those things will be given away. We'll do a drawing, and then that person will get to decide between the signed 8x10 Johnny Holland or the signed Chuck Mercine jersey. And we're going to have to hurry up because we got another giveaway that's coming up. So we got to hurry up and finish these so that we can give you something else. You're just holding yourself up. That's all you're doing right now. Not hurting me. And as always, uh, consider giving to the Packer Fans Against Cancer GoFundMe campaign. Something that I wanted to do so that we could all give back, so that I could personally give back, but also give you the opportunity to do so as well. Not everybody has the opportunity to give lots of money. I hope someday I'll get to that point where I just got a bunch of money left over and being like, I'm just going to give a bunch of money to charity. I'm working on it. But I figure in the meantime, for the rest of us that have the ability to scratch together 10, 12, 15, probably some random number because, you know, you're poor. (laughs) 
hey, I got eight bucks left over. Like, awesome, you want to donate it? It's the difference between budgeting and scraping together money. But anything that you can do to uh, contribute to this would be greatly appreciated. Something that we can all get involved in. And when we send the money off, it's something that we can all get to do together, and that'll be a lot of fun. And something we can all feel good about. Send it off uh, probably early Christmas morning, and I'll upload a video of it in the Facebook group so we can start off our Christmas the right way. That way, when we move on to uh, gluttony and opening up thousands of dollars worth of presents that we couldn't afford, we feel less bad about it. No, I'm joking around, but it, it is a uh, obviously a very worthwhile organization. It's the Madison Childhood Cancer Foundation. Regardless of financial situation, we're all, many of us, in better situations than um, some of the people that are suffering through that ridiculously horrible uh, disease. And so whatever we can do to help out, I'm very excited that um, we're going to be able to do it. And I'm, I'm excited to, to be able to do this more regularly because it's obviously a very worthwhile thing. So anyways, hopefully you all had a very fantastic Veterans Day. I noticed a very slight dip in the numbers, so it better have been fun. You're just going to leave me high and dry like that. I hope you're happy. Anyways, let's take a break, and we'll take a look at what exactly happened on Sunday. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, folks, let's do our My Bookie Minute here. Obviously, we got nothing to talk about as far as the Packers, but that doesn't mean there isn't still football or sports in general. There's always work to be done. And it's going to start as early as this Thursday with the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cleveland Browns at minus two and a half, over under set at 40, because these are not very good football teams. Also, I told you that I certainly wasn't ruling out Seattle in that game. I didn't watch it, and from the sound of it, it was a very hard-fought battle between two very good teams, and the general tone of all the text messages I got from the game that played while I was sleeping is that these are two teams that scare a lot of Packer fans. But still, as I said, I wasn't going to rule out Seattle, and they did end up pulling off the win. So there's plenty of other games that you can look through, but you can also still bet on the Packers. Just because it's a bye week doesn't mean you can't throw down some little cash on the pack. Because my bookie's asking you who's about to win the Super Bowl. If you're bored with it, you can come in here and bet on politics. You can bet on which celebrity is going to die next. You can bet on which organization is going to be the first to send humans to Mars. How many days is Lori Laughlin going to spend in prison? And of course, bet on who the next Pope is going to be. As I said before, anything there is to bet on, my bookie's willing to give you some action. And if you join right now, my bookie's going to match your first deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000, which means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just make sure that you use promo code OVERTIME to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code OVERTIME to take advantage of my bookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All righty. Let's start off with special teams, which is something I'm always supposed to do but never remember. Um, essentially, not looking at kickers or returners yet. These are just the blockers and the tacklers. Realistically, there was only one guy that was any good and one guy that was really terrible. The good player, believe it or not, was uh, Tremont Smith, who we don't usually associate with a good special teams player. That is, except for the day that we picked him up and it was like, ooh, super good special teams guy. And that's when our special teams went all to heck. Because, you know, just had to get rid of Trevor Davis, didn't we? Just couldn't wait to get rid of Trevor Davis. Please, let's just push him out of here. 
He's so bad. We got to get rid of him. We, why do we have him? I hate Trevor Davis. I hate him. I hate him. Get rid of him. All right, well, he's gone now. We can't seem to get past the 15-yard line because people are literally kicking it to the five, saying, let's see if he can mo- go more than 10 yards, and we can't. Anyways, he was pretty solid, not necessarily as a returner, but that time when he concussed himself and whatnot, that was a, apparently a pretty good tackle. Um, some other guys that were fairly good, not great, Tony Brown and Darnell Savage, and then the bad Kyler Fackrell, Jay Sternberger, and the horrible would be Zadarius Smith. He only had four times on special teams. I don't even know why he's on special teams. Please don't do that. I don't want him getting hurt. He's way too valuable. I understand the whole everybody needs to play, but not Zadarius. He wasn't any good anyways. Let's just pull him and call it a punishment. You're so bad, you're never doing special teams again. You are the worst. Boom, punished. Kicking grades, Mason Crosby was below average because he missed that one field goal, even though it didn't count. J.K. Scott, believe it or not, had an above average grade. Four attempts, 141 yards, 35.3 average. His longest was 41 yards, but he did pin two of his four inside the 20. One of them was kicked out of bounds. Three of them were fair caught, so zero returns. His hang time was four seconds, 4.15 seconds. So, again, special teams is just sort of spiraling downward, and I don't really know why, but it's kind of getting annoying. Just as things are starting to pick up, you got other things that are like, oh, we're going to get worse. Like, no, why are you doing that? Stay good. Stay good. That's we, we need you to stay good because if certain things get good and then other things get bad, we kind of just stay in that not great territory. I'd like to be in the great territory. Thank you very much. And then Tremont Smith as a returner uh, didn't do anything. He had one fair catch on the day, and that was it. So there's your special teams report. I will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Why don't we do defense? Because I feel like, I mean, there's good news and bad news on both, but let's do defense because... I think people are mostly mad at the defense, so let's kind of give some positive news here. Um, as many of you may have heard by now, Kenny Clark was the highest-graded defender on the defense. He, he had a really good day, but it honestly was almost identical to what he did last week. In terms of grades, it was almost identical. In terms of statistics, definitely not. But the biggest difference really for Kenny Clark, if you compare it to last week, would be the proportions. So last week and this week, very, very good pass rusher, which I told you last week, despite him not looking like he did a good job, his pass rush grade was actually pretty high. Tackling was abysmal. It was in the 20s as far as grades. That's that's about as bad as it gets. Just really, really terrible. And run defense was average. Same as last week. The difference is, last week he split run defense and pass rush about 50-50. This week he had 18 times he was defending the run. Only 18, 44 times he was rushing the passer. So when you're really good at rushing the passer and you pretty much only rush the passer, overall, you had a great day. When you're really good at rushing the passer, and you're really terrible at tackling and not great against the run, and it's 50-50, it averages out. So his overall grade last week was like 70, and then this week it was almost 90. It was 89.8. So really, he has, I don't know that he got better. He just was, he just was doing what he does best more often. So kind of a negative spin on it, I guess, although it's not really negative. It's pretty positive because he's a very good pass rusher. Of all defensive tackles pending what happened on Monday night, he had the most um, the most pressures of any defensive tackle. We'll get into specifics in a little bit, but that's, that's the reality. The second highest player, the other one who was in the 80s, the very good territory, and these two were kind of far and away by themselves, was actually Adrian Amos, which it's really good to see him up there. He's been just kind of floating around in no man's land, kind of good, not great, sometimes not super great at all, but um, had an 80 coverage grade, 
and he played 50 snaps in coverage, so certainly not a small sample size. And his tackling grade, which is something we depend on, was also in the 80s. So very good on both fronts. Run defense was just average, but whatever, doesn't matter. Guys who graded out as good, Oren Burks, Zadarius Smith, and Kingsley Kiki. Oren only played four snaps, so let's not get too carried away. Last week he was abysmally terrible so when i first saw it i was like oh man oren burke stepping up blake better watch out and then i saw four snaps and that last week he was terrible and i was like oh never mind but um zadarius the reason he had an average grade is because although he had very similar to kenny clark a very very good pass rush grade horrible 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 tackling and it was actually bad against the run his grade against the run was in the 40s which is pretty bad Kingsley was had a good grade mostly just by being steady across the board. He only had 11 snaps, but that's not nothing. Three against the run, eight as a pass rusher. Didn't show up on the stat sheet whatsoever, but again, he's pretty average across the board. They gave him a good grade, and I actually missed one. I'm a liar, and you're all going to say because I'm biased, but sorry. Kevin King also was in the 70s, and he actually was, was good across the board, which is nice to see. It wasn't just that he was good in coverage and terrible and everything else because he's been one of the worst tacklers on this team. He actually had a very good tackling grade, as we saw. He was smoking everybody part of the time because he allowed people to catch passes. But um, good coverage grade, very good tackling grade, average run defense grade came out as a 70.5 overall, so good. People that didn't have the best days ever, Preston Smith with his second uh, below average day in a row. He did have two sacks, so everyone's going to freak out. Like, how could you say he had a... Well, he had five total pressures, right? It's sort of like that Kyler Fackrell thing. He only had five pressures, which is low, but two of them ended up being sacks. So it looked like Preston had a better day than Zadarius. That's absolutely not the case. Um, Beyond that, we all saw Preston Smith get destroyed in coverage. So that very negatively affected his grade. I mean, his pass rush grade was below average, which again, people are not going to like that. But, you know, five pressures is not that much. It's fine. I mean, it's better than what most people get, but still. But coverage was the big one. His tackling was actually pretty solid, and his run defense was average, but overall below average day. Again, that's his second in a row. I think most of us will take it. I mean, if he's getting two sacks a game, I don't really care. He can play below average all he wants. Just get the sacks. I'm fine with it. But I'm just letting you know that's kind of what the score came out to. Um, Montrevious Adams, really pretty poor run defense grade, but tackling and pass rush was fine. Only played 15 snaps, but below average. Getting down into the bad category, B.J. Goodson and Blake Martinez. So the linebacking group, just not cutting it. Now, BJ is kind of doing what he does. He's not terrible against the run. His tackling grade was actually pretty solid, but coverage was just just terrible. He didn't do it much, but it was bad. And then Blake Martinez, um, bad against the run, average tackler, bad against, or bad pass rusher, excuse me, below average pass rusher, below average in in coverage. I can't speak, but you get the idea. Just not very good. Pretty much below average across the board is is what I'm trying to say. And then worst of the worst, which actually kind of surprised me because I felt like he was having a good day, but Tyler Lancaster had a grade that was very bad, mostly because of his run defense grade, which is the one thing he's supposed to be good at, was really, really bad. The one thing he was actually very good at was pass rush, but he only did that seven times. He only had one pressure. So overall, his run defense grade, which is what he did the most, was kind of the biggest part of his grade. He also got dinged for his penalty, which you can tell because his run defense grade was a 36. Everything else was higher. His overall grade was actually lower than his run defense grade because he's out there making dumb mistakes. Um, I skip over a lot of the mediocre guys because I don't want to just go point by point giving you every single grade because that would just be giving you stuff away for free. However, one of the guys that came out as, as average and it didn't have the best day in certain categories was Ibrahim Campbell. He uh, had a bad coverage grade, below average pass rush, below average in tackling. However, his run defense grade was actually elite. I'll take it, man. 
you know, you got a team that really struggles uh, against the run. You got Christian McCaffrey coming in. It's a really important game. You need somebody that can play the run. The second best run defense grade was Kenny Clark with a 68.9. That's average. There was not one player outside of Ibrahim Campbell that was good or very good. Zero. Average was as good as it got. And then you got Ibrahim Campbell who had an elite run defense grade. We needed him. No question. Now, how do you, you know, there's, we got to separate the tackling and the run defense because those are two different things, but you got a guy who's taking great angles, who's getting off blocks, who's getting after people, who's sort of playing contain, all the different things that go into run defense that, you know, aren't exactly tack. Tackling is the next part, like, okay, did you tackle? And he, he did okay. He had five tackles, one assist, and, and one miss. So the, you take away that one miss, it's probably got a pretty good tackling grade, but he missed one. But still, that's really, really good to see because that's why we have him. And week one, he stepped up to the plate. And he played 41 snaps, so it's not like he uh, he was on a snap count. The Packers obviously realized how good he is and how much we need him, and he played a full slate right off the bat. Um, below average to bad, Blake Martinez, Zadarius Smith, and Tyler Lancaster. I kind of already talked about those, but those are the three worst in as far as run defense. Tackling the two guys that were very good, Adrian Amos, Kevin King, uh, the guys that were good, B.J. Goodson, Preston Smith, and Dean Lowry. And then there were four that were just abysmally horrible which happens every time. Tremont Williams, who's usually not on this list, he had a really, really bad day tackling. Zadarius Smith, Kenny Clark, and Kyler Fackrell. Really, really horrible, terrible. Pass rush, Kenny Clark, Zadarius Smith, and Tyler Lancaster were very good. Uh, nobody was good. It just dropped straight to average after that. The only guy that was uh, had a bad grade was Darnell Savage. He had three attempts and one pressure. That doesn't actually seem that bad. Maybe they're dinging him for that whiff. I'm not really sure, but, you know, whatever. Not that big of a deal. Uh, the lowest grade of anybody that had any bit of significant snap counts would be Rashawn Gary, 10 uh, pass rush attempts, one pressure, which, again, is about 10%, which is about his average anyways. And he actually had a pretty average pass rush grade, so it wasn't that bad. In coverage, we had Adrian Amos, that was very good. Kevin King, that was good. And then uh, below average would be Blake Martinez. Bad was Preston Smith, Ibrahim Campbell, and B.J. Goodson. So thems are all the grades. Now looking at some of the statistics... Pressures is where it gets pretty interesting. So starting from the bottom, you got Kyler Fackrell, Montrevious, Darnell Savage, Rashawn Gary, and Tyler Lancaster each generated one pressure. Rashawn Gary and Kyler Fackrell had hits. Tyler Lancaster had a sack. And then Savage and Montrevious each had a hurry. Uh, Dean Lowry had two pressures. Both of them were hurries. Preston, I mentioned, had five pressures. He had two sacks, two hits, and a hurry. Which, again, having more sacks than you have hurries is just something that pretty much never happens. Kenny Clark, who wasn't exactly all over the stat sheet, had his one sack. He didn't have any hits, but he had nine hurries. I was reading the PFF article about it. It's the recap. It's free. You can go read that as well. But they were saying, how many how many pass attempts did the Panthers have on their final drive? That's how many pressures Kenny Clark had on the final drive. In other words, he had a pressure pretty much every single passing play on that final drive. Not that he was bad the rest of the game, but they just said like in the fourth quarter, he was literally unstoppable. So the offensive line was just on skates. And I mentioned that Kenny Clark had the most pressures of any defensive tackle in football. When you look at all the defenders in football, Kenny Clark, I think, had the third most pressures of any single defender in, in all of football. Pass rushers, defensive tackles, linebackers, whatever. One of the two guys that had more pressures than Kenny Clark was Zadarius Smith. Now, Zadarius, you know, again, he didn't have the sacks. So you look at it, well, what did he do that was so... He had 12 pressures in this game. 12. 
No, he didn't have any sacks, but, I mean, we, we all saw it. He was in the backfield. It looked like every single play. By the way, that is a 26.6, we'll call it a 27% pass rush rate. That's, 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 un, that's inhuman. That's, that's insane. Kenny Clark was at 23%, which is incredible. I mean, th- these are, I, I don't know. Somebody had asked me the question, is it possible that Kenny Clark's slow start had to do with his injury and that he's officially back right now? I'm not going to say he's back until he gets a little bit better against the run, but if he can do this consistently, we're talking 20% pressure rate, which is pretty unsustainable, but if, if this is what back means and he can do this more regularly, yeah, I'm good with it. We still got to figure out what to do against the run because Kenny's not exactly what he used to be. Zadarius has not really been very good against the run for the most of the year. Blake has been an abomination, so I'd like to see Kenny get a little better in that regard. But you know, I'll 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 take that pass rush performance by anybody any day of the week. Um, in this game, there were 47 tackles, 13 assists, and 10 missed tackles. That's just entirely too many missed tackles, man. You think about it, every every single one of those tackles accounts for more yardage. How many first downs did they convert? That shouldn't have been first downs because somebody just couldn't wrap up and tackle. Darnell Savage missed two tackles. Kyler Fackrell missed two tackles. You had Ibrahim Campbell, Zadarius Smith, Kenny Clark, Blake Martinez, and Jair Alexander all missing tackles. Just, man, enough is enough, man. I mean, they are getting better at it, but it's still just getting frustrating. I mean, just just think about that that Darnell Savage missed sack. And I know everybody's giving him a pass like, oh, man, it was he was a wizard at quarterback. You see how he moved? No, he sidestepped. Let me just ask you. Would it have been the worst thing in the world for him to slow down a little bit? I mean, he's coming in real hot. Slow down and get him. Right? If you slow down, rather than just trying to fire in, and just basically, I mean, you could have come to a stop and then just lunged at him. I mean, any if you're standing there and he tries to sidestep, what are you going to do if you're standing there? He's not sidestepping anything because you're not going to blow past him because you're not running at 45 miles an hour. You're going to miss everybody at that speed. You don't need to be a wizard at quarterback. Just move to the side. Nobody can turn that fast when you're running that fast. Now, if you're running that fast coming at his blind side, fine. But if you're running right at his face at that speed, you're going to miss nine times out of ten. I know you're all excited and you're all fired up and you're running as fast as you can and it's like, oh, I'm going to get him. But come on, man. I know everybody's giving you a pass. I'm not giving you a pass on that. That was a ridiculous whiff for a quarterback that's just standing there. And literally all he had to do was step to the side and you missed. And that would have been a, a pretty consequential sack. That was a big one. Uh, I mentioned the forced fumble by Ibrahim Campbell yesterday. Looking at some of the coverage statistics, Kevin King, you can kind of see the up and down. I know he had a high coverage grade. I think a lot of that had to do uh, with the fact that he had three pass breakups in the game, which is huge. That's awesome. But the, the good and bad for Kevin King is he was the most targeted. He had 11 targets, which isn't always the worst thing, right? If, they're t- if you're targeted and, and none of them are getting caught, you're doing a great job. But he was targeted 11 times. The next highest was six. He allowed eight of those to be caught. And if we're doing math, that means the only three that were not caught were the three that were broken up, which, you know, props to him for breaking those three up. But every single one that he didn't break up got caught. He also gave up the most yards of anyone. He gave up 82 total yards. It's not the worst. I mean, we didn't have Jair or Kevin King giving up 100-plus games, so I'll take it. But Kevin King was flirting with it a little bit. And again, the three pass breakups was pretty solid. He also had a penalty. Um, the next most targeted was Jair. Th- these two are usually going to be the most because they're the ones that are out there the most. But six targets, five reception, one pass breakup. So pretty similar to uh, Kevin King, just on a separate level. Wasn't targeted as much, but gave up just about as many percentage-wise receptions and had one breakup that accounted for the only non-cat. He gave up 58 yards in this game, no touchdowns or anything like that. 
Uh, Blake Martinez, five targets, four receptions, gave up 60 yards. Ibrahim Campbell, five targets, four receptions, only gave up 28 yards. Tremont, three targets, only one reception, and had a pick. So again, Tremont, his coverage grade wasn't as high, but just another solid day. I mean, he gave up a 21-yard reception, but only three targets on the day. I mean, he's just locking guys up, man. Passer rating when targeted, he had a 19.4. How crazy is that? Darnell Savage, two targets, two receptions for 11 yards and also gave up a touchdown, which is why his coverage grade was as low as it was. He wasn't targeted very often, but safeties usually aren't targeted as often or at least aren't as aren't credited with targets as often. But um, when you give up 100% of the times you're targeted and give up a touchdown, that's usually not going to bode very well for you. Adrian Amos, two targets, one reception, and one pass breakup, so real solid for him. Only targeted twice and broke one up. The only reception that he gave up was 18 yards. Preston Smith, two targets, two receptions, 20 yards. He pretty much didn't do anything in coverage, which is to be expected because he's being put on a tight end, and it's kind of going to be a mismatch every time. And then B.J. Goodson, one target, one reception for nine yards. The only touchdown pass given up again was Darnell Savage. As far as pass breakups, Kevin King had his three, and then Jair and Amos each had one. Penalties, Kevin King, Tyler Lancaster, Preston, and Zadarius Smith. Obviously, Zadarius, we all remember that very costly penalty, although it didn't actually cost us anything. But it was very close to costing us. So, anyways, that was the defense. It was, uh, I, I, I honestly would say more good than bad. I'm a little disappointed with the corners. You know, Jair hasn't had a real big day in, in quite a while. Really need to see a resurgence of that. You know, it started off with, oh, he's, he's the, the new hot young corner. Could he be the next Darrell Revis? All that stuff. And now he's just kind of a guy. Right? He has some decent games, some pretty bad games average pretty much across the board Kevin King is up and down even now now it's not even week to week he's up and down it's per game he has highs and lows he's simultaneously our best and worst corner in one game I don't know how you even do that but um, you know Adrian Amos had a real good day Kenny Clark is just killing it two weeks in a row now you know he didn't get any credit last week but this is his second week in a row being one of the best pass rushers in football as a defensive tackle Zadarius is still an absolute monster, regardless of the fact that he's struggling tackling. He's just an unbelievable monster of a pass rusher. Ibrahim Campbell had a great impact against the run in his first week. Uh, Tremont is just still incredible. Preston is, you know, he seems to be slipping two weeks in a row now, but he's he's still getting pressures. He's still getting sacks, especially in big situations. And I again, I'll take that any day of the week. And so, you know, again, there's there's negatives. But the positives are sort of the newer developments, whereas the negatives are mostly just, you know, Blake is still bad. BJ is still not good in coverage. Tyler had a bad day, but I don't expect this to be a slide. I just think this was a bad day. So overall, it's encouraging, especially when you look at the room to grow. And there's there's a lot of room. The problem with 2018, 2017, 2016 is just that they were bad, and there was no expectation of them ever really getting better, right? The good players were playing good on a regular basis, the bad players were playing bad, and you just kind of knew what the defense was. This is a team that still has room to grow because the good players aren't even playing up to their potential, right? Kenny Clark, as good of a pass rusher as he's been, he's a really, really, really good run defender, and we haven't seen that this year. That's room to grow. Now, is he ever going to realize that? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, is that going to be realized? I don't know. Adrian Amos has room to grow. He had a great game this week, but his overall grade is lower this year than it's been the last two years. He's playing worse now than he did when he was with the Bears, so there's room to grow there. Sedarius is much worse against the run than he was last year, so he's a better run defender than we've seen. It'd be nice to see that. Preston Smith, exact same thing. He came over here supposedly being the real good run defender, and he just he's been a much better pass rusher, but there's room to grow. And um, from what I heard from the Seattle 
and the San Francisco game, which I absolutely believe, is that these are two monstrous, scary, horrifying defenses. And what I'd like to see is the Packers match that level of, of ta- talent and intensity. And I think they have the talent on the team. They're just not, it's not showing up. And a lot of it, again, is consistency. If we had Jair at his best and Kevin King at his best and Darnell at his best and Zadarius and Preston at their best and Amos at their best and Kenny Clark at their best, and I don't mean best as far as best game ever. I just mean doing what they usually do. Could even just say doing their average and not having, you know, one third of the defense going, oh, I'm going to have a bad day this week. Stop doing that. So consistency and realizing your full potential is going to kind of determine what this defense is. And there's still plenty of time to, uh, to get there. But anyways, let's take our final break and then we'll take a look at the offense and we'll get out of here. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I know there's not a Packer game this week because we got ourselves a bye week. But if you listen to my advice and you downloaded the Vivid Seats app, what you'll realize is there's more to do in your town than go to a Packer game. Right here in Madison, we got Incubus coming uh, today. Got a bunch of Badger stuff tomorrow. Winton Marsalis, Angel Olsen. I, I don't know who these people are, but there's a lot of stuff to do. And all you got to do is whip out the old Vivid Seats app. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they were doing some shopping for Christmas, and they were buying Packers tickets. Why? It's a bye week. Because you can buy Packers tickets now for a game later. You don't have to wait until two days before the game. I mean, you, you can buy it right now. Just saying. If you want to go to the Bears game, just pull out the Vivid Seats app. Boom. And, of course, the, ma- the app is going to make it pretty easy for you. You can sort by price. You can look for seat. You can look in section and row, whatever it is you want to look for. And, again, they've got the Vivid Seats loyalty program that allows you to earn credit back and Vivid Seats rewards, which you're automatically enrolled in when you download the app. Each and every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. So if you haven't done it yet, download the app and join the Vivid Seats rewards loyalty program today. And when you're ready to buy, new users, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. All right, now, looking at the offense, we'll start with the uh, the bad, and there was really only one that had a bad grade, and that was Mr. Danny Vitale. We all had very, very high hopes for Mr. Danny Vitale that are just not really coming to fruition. Uh, according to PFF's statistics, grades, whatever, uh, Week 7 against Oakland was his only good game, and even that was technically average. His grade was a 69.7. That was his best game. This, however, in Week 10 was his worst game. So Danny Vitale, outside of being a pretty good pass blocker, has really contributed almost nothing to the team via PFF. He, d- he did have a couple games in which he had a positive receiving grade, Week 5 against Dallas, Week 7 against Oakland. But for the most part, horrible run blocker, pretty good pass blocker, occasionally does stuff as a receiver, but very, very rarely. Again, this can all change, but, um, you know, it hasn't been changing. And the only thing I saw him do last week was run the wrong route and fall down and Aaron Rodgers yelling at him. 
There were a handful of below averages, though. Uh, Alan Lazard, which I know a lot of people aren't going to like, but it is what it is. Mostly it was his run blocking grade, which was not insignificant. About uh, one-third of his snaps were as a run blocker. Uh, his receiving grade was average. Marquez, again, below average. Jimmy Graham had a below average grade. Again, I know a lot of people are going to throw a hissy fit. It is what it is. He had a good pass blocking grade. That's about it. Again, he ran, he had 41 snaps. So if in your mind you're upset about a grade because you remember those three receptions they had, of his 41 snaps, you have to account for 38 more. Do you know what happened on those 38 snaps? If not, go back and watch all 38 other snaps of Jimmy Graham and see how he did. He was a receiver 26 times. I think I think he did catch three passes. I'm not sure. I'm saying three randomly, but I think that's about right. So go watch the other 23 to see how he did. Same with Alan Lazard. I think he was three. He had 21 snaps as a receiver. So go watch the other 18 and then form an opinion before you just start spouting off about how, oh, PFF doesn't know. I saw him. He caught that one first down pass. He's really good. Come on now, man. You can do this. You can figure this out. Uh, Geronimo Allison also below average. Decent run block grade. Poor receiving grade. Uh, Jay Sternberger was below average. I want to talk a little bit more about that. He only had 14 snaps. I was still generally pretty happy with what he did. Uh, the biggest negative was that his his run blocking was poor. It's funny because I said I remember him doing a really good job as a pass blocker and I saw him run a route. Apparently that was the only route he ran because he only ran one route and he actually did get a very good pass blocking grade. Not actually very good. It was 70s, but he did a good job. It was only three snaps though. So I, I, I must have only saw him on those couple snaps where he was running a route and pass blocking. But for the most part, he was out there as a run blocker and didn't do the greatest job in the world. Um, Billy Turner was below average. Solid pass blocker, horrible run blocker. So that's that. On the positive end, Aaron Rodgers had a good grade. Not great, but good. I think that's fair. I think we all saw passes that could have been a little bit better. The way that PFF phrased it in that article is that he, although it wasn't his best game, he was relatively efficient, made some really nice deep passes, and minimized dumb mistakes. So there you go. Uh, Brian Balaga was good. Aaron Jones, kind of a, a big jump up to 77.2 was his grade. The biggest negative for him was his pass blocking grade was absolutely abysmal. And then uh, Jake Kumaro, a 79.9, basically an 80. We'll call his performance a very good performance. Uh, 11 of his snaps were as a run blocker. He had an almost very good grade as a run blocker. He was dominant there. But he also had a 76 as a receiver. So pretty much everything he was asked to do, which 50% was run blocking, 50% was as a receiver, he dominated both. So props to Jay Kumaro for being as good as he was. And then the number one player on the team was Devontae Adams pretty average uh, run blocker, which I don't, you know, again, it's like Kenny Clark not having a great day against the run, but having a sack and 10 hurries or 10 pressures. It's like, I, I, I kind of don't care, but uh, very good grade as a receiver, not surprisingly. And it, 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 it is good to see. I don't know why I'm stuttering today. It's just a weird day. Can that be something you develop later in life? Because I'm getting a little worried. But uh, last week, which was his first week back, he had an average grade, which as far as Devontae Adams is concerned, may as well just be a terrible grade. But he's right back on track. Very, very good day. And by the way, this year he's on track to have his best year ever. So 2016, his overall grade was 72. That was kind of his breakout third year. Not really breakout, but like, oh, maybe he's not the worst ever. 2017, he had an 80.5. 2018, 87.8. That was a real big jump. 2019, so far, he's at an 88. So he's just above what he was last year. Wouldn't be surprised if he continues to trend down a little bit and not quite be as good as 2018. Just because of how incredibly good that is. But he is on track, and he's doing a uh, pretty awesome job. And he's right back on track to where he was after just one week. And after this bye week of being able to rest and recover and everything else, I'm thinking he'll have another good day and several good days to come. 
looking specifically at blocking. Um, Elton Jenkins was our best pass blocker. He's been um, he's been kind of up and down, but for the most part, especially for being a rookie, a second round guy, he's been pretty dominant. Our second best pass blocker, Mercedes Lewis, then David Bakhtiari. Somewhat disappointing actually that Bakhtiari only had a 74.6 grade going up against some pretty subpar pass rushers, but I guess I'll take it. Then our fourth best pass blocker was Mr. Jay Sternberger. Uh, Billy Turner was good. Jimmy Graham was good. Brian Balaga was good. Corey Lindsley was bad, and Aaron Jones was horrible. Um, Aaron Jones didn't actually allow any pressures, but he had three attempts, which is why it wasn't that impactful. It was only three, but he must have just completely whiffed on him or something. Uh, in terms of the actual numbers, uh, Aaron Rodgers was sacked twice. One of them was his fault. I'm surprised both of them weren't, because I specifically remember exactly which one it was. He must have held the ball for seven seconds. It was ridiculous. Uh, Corey Lindsley is responsible for the other sack. Uh, only one hit was given up. That was given up by David Bakhtiari, who I still am curious what exactly is going on with him. And then there were two pressures, both of which were given by Brian Balaga. The other issue would have been penalties. Aaron Rodgers had two penalties against him. Alan Lazard had a penalty. Bakhtiari had a penalty. Jimmy Graham had a penalty. Brian Balaga had a penalty. And Devontae Adams had a penalty. So way too many penalties. Um, Aaron Rodgers was definitely affected by the pressure this week. He had a he was only he wasn't pressured much, but when under pressure, four attempts, zero completions, and he was sacked twice. It was it was, well it was it was six dropbacks. Two of them were sacks. Of the four attempts, zero completion. He had a 41 um, overall grade, so it was pretty pretty poor. However, with no pressure, uh, 26 dropbacks, 25 attempts, 17 completions, 68% completion percentage. His adjusted completion percentage was 75%. But, you know, pretty much all his stats were there because those were all his stats. 233 yards, 9.3 yards per attempt. So the pressure was definitely pretty impactful, but otherwise just kind of carved everybody up. Looking at our running backs, obviously Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams both had good running grades. Both of them had 13 attempts. Aaron Jones with 93 yards, Jamal with 63. Aaron Jones 7.2 yards per attempt, Jamal 4.8. Aaron Jones three touchdowns. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. However, both of them had five first downs. They're doing a great job of converting. That's, you know, 10 first downs in a game just from our running backs is fantastic. Both of them had three 10-plus runs. Aaron Jones had 64 yards after contact. Jamal Williams had 46 yards after contact. Aaron Jones was getting almost five yards per carry after contact. So, I mean, and, and that's that's important too because you can look at it and say, yeah, but did you see the holes they were running through? And that's a valid point. There was a statistic I saw on Twitter that had something to the effect of, the offensive line was creating over three yards per carry before first contact. In other words, the offensive line was responsible for almost three yards per carry because the, the the running backs weren't even touched before three yards on average. But still, five yards per carry after contact, that's kind of on the running back. Jamal Williams had almost four yards per carry. Well, it's three and a half yards, 3.54, let's be specific, yards, per, yards after contact per carry. Sheesh. Longest carries, uh, Aaron Jones was 28 yards, Jamal was 16 yards, and then sort of in that yards after contact vein, avoided tackles. Jamal Williams had two avoided tackles, Aaron Jones avoided five tackles. So seven avoided tackles. The running backs averaged 4.23 yards after contact, and 110 total yards after contact was generated by the running backs. Just unbelievable effort by these two guys. No, I mean, you, you could say this about a lot of guys, but... There's no question the Packers are not at eight wins right now without Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams playing at this level. You can say that about Zadarius. You can say it, obviously, about Aaron Rodgers. But, I mean, the the amount of credit due to both of these guys, particularly Aaron Jones, but, I mean, Jamal Williams has saved the day on on multiple occasions, especially for him to be able to come in late in the game and just grind and just smash this tired defense right in the mouth. 
unbelievable duo. I'm so, so excited about it. And, and the offensive line is due a lot of credit as well. We saw what happened early in the season with these two running backs when the offensive line can't block at all. But uh, finally, looking at the receivers, again, there were two that had good grades, Devontae and Kumaro. Everybody else was uh, suboptimal, to put it put it nicely. Devontae, 118 yards. Kumaro, 23. Lazard, 27. Jimmy, 59. Geronimo had six. Looking at it from a yards per reception perspective, Jimmy Graham, 29.5. Devontae, 16.9, which is really impressive when you look at Devontae because some of these, you know, Jimmy Graham, 29.5 is awesome, but he had two receptions, so it kind of skews it. When you have seven receptions and you're averaging 17 yards per reception, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Jay Kumaro, 11.5. Alan Lazard, 9. Geronimo, 2. Looking at yards after the catch, Jimmy Graham, 42 yards after the catch. Devontae, 36. And this is total yards, so that's props to Jimmy because this kind of has an inverse thing. You know, you would expect more the more receptions you have. Jimmy, only two receptions, 42 yards after the catch. Devontae, 36. Kumaro, 26. Geronimo, 10. Lazard, 3. And the reason I bring that up, we're talking about 117 yards. There, there weren't that many yards in the game. When you're talking about, what do they have, 300 and some yards, and 117 of our 300 and some odd yards were generated after the catch by our receivers, and 110-ish yards were generated after contact by our running backs. What our ball carriers do after they have the ball in their hand is unbelievably important. We're talking about at least two-thirds of our total yards come after reception, after contact. Longest reception, Jimmy Graham, 48, Devontae, 38, Lazard, 19, Kumaro, 12, Geronimo Allison, 4. First downs, very, very happy to have Devontae back. This is, I mean, this this is how you win games is by sustaining drives, right? When the, when the drives stall out and you can't convert that third down, you punt, you give the other team the ball, they score, you don't score, right? It's pretty simple how this works. Devontae Adams had five first downs in the game. Kumaro came up with two, Jimmy Graham, one, Alan Lazard, one. So again, looking at it and saying, do you win without Devontae Adams? You could pretty, you can, you can make a strong case that we don't. You could just say, well, the targets should go elsewhere. Yeah, maybe. But think specifically about these critical third downs. You need a guy that's going to run a good route, that's going to be able to catch, you know, all, all these different things that aren't guarantees anywhere else. I don't know that Marquez runs the same route Devontae does, runs it as cleanly and gets separation and be, is able to convert the first down. We're, we're very fortunate to have Devontae back in this game. Uh, only one drop, that was by Alan Lazard. There were only two avoided tackles. One of them was Jay Kumaro. One of them was Geronimo Allison. Three penalties in the game, Jimmy Graham, Alan Lazard, and Devontae Adams. Again, penalties are much too high. So re- really, that's that's kind of where we're at, in my opinion, with this team. The, the upside is best team in football, but that depends on everybody playing more consistently and playing their best version of themselves. I, I don't... I it, it, it could say it's just because I'm a Packer fan, but... Maybe, but I can't really think of a team that has a better situation. You could say the Patriots with their defense, maybe, but they don't have the pass rushers. Right? They've got the defensive backs. I think that is their biggest strength. You know, San Francisco is a good football team, but you know, it's it's the guys up front, obviously very very dominant defensive line, but their their secondary, their linebackers. Nah. Granted, the Packers linebackers are kind of nah also. But they don't have Aaron Rodgers. They don't have Devontae Adams. They do have George Kittle. But I'm just saying, there's no reason to say that the Packers can't be a better football team than the 49ers. Seahawks, I mean, if we're just talking about talented football players, there's no question. Now, that's just a very, very good football team with a quarterback that is playing out of his mind and dragging, 
you know, and I say dragging, but I mean, this is this is emblematic of the Patriots, in my opinion, because what we saw was a team that we, we all assumed this is a defensive football team with a good quarterback, and that's why they're dominant. The defense started to erode. The offensive line was never repaired, just kept getting worse. Everything keeps getting worse with the Seahawks, and they just keep getting better. This is an unbelievable coach and a very, very talented quarterback. That's why I say it's the Patriots. I'm not saying they're going to be a dynasty or anything like that. I'm just saying they're, they're winning in the same way, that they have this very important duo, the two most important things that you can have, that are just willing it to happen. The positive of that is if the Seahawks can win with and it, and I'm kind of overstating it. There's more to it than that. They've got some very good defensive players, some great offensive players, some key components. DK Metcalf is playing a pretty important role. But if they can do it with that, we can do it with what we have. Matt LaFleur has proven to be a very good coach, a very good offensive mind. Aaron Rodgers is playing good football. We got Devontae, blah, 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 blah. And we're doing all this, by the way, with Bakhtiari having one of his worst years, other issues along the offensive line, tight ends that are not quite reaching their full potential. You got Jay Sternberger, who could emerge as a, a receiving weapon. You got a bunch of other wide receivers that I don't necessarily expect to get better, but there's enough of them that one of them is bound to have a good day, like Jay Kumro did this week, right? He just just decided today I'm going to have a great day. Great. We need that. So like I said before, it's almost like we do have a number two, even though he doesn't have a, a, a number assigned to him. Right? He doesn't have a name. There isn't a number two, but we always have a number two. It just varies from week to week who it's going to be because somebody in, invariably is going to step into that role. So that's a cool thing. But anyways, plenty of reason to be optimistic, not the least of which, by the way, is the fact that the Packers are now 8-2 and two with a rookie head coach. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.